Well, good morning again. I can't sing. Just going to put that out there. And I'm glad that we are all different, that we all have different gifts and talents, and that some of us can sing and play instruments. So thank you. Thank you for the worship today. It's good to see you. Are you well? Good? Good, good. Hey, let's pray. Father, we thank you for life. We thank you for the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus. We thank you that today we can come and worship you freely. Lord, as we do that, we ask that you fulfill your promise, your promise that says where two or more are gathered, you are there in the midst of them. Be present here today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We know that you're only too willing. Surround us with your presence and with your angels. As we open up your word this morning, Lord, speak to us, speak to our hearts. Bless us and be with our families and friends, wherever they are around the world, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I used to work in Sydney, I grew up in Sydney, and I worked in a trade and retail store. We had a really good team there that worked very, very well together and we all had a very similar attitude to life. In fact, two of my colleagues were Christian and so we had a very, very good work ethic and we respected each other and have become good friends and we still keep in touch. The store that we worked in and that we managed turned over a million dollars a year. It was the highest grossing store in the company that we work for. So we, we, we were doing really well and we needed some, some more staff. And so we started the, the interview process to find a new staff member, someone that would work well with us. And we interviewed a young guy that just seemed perfect. We were really impressed. Then, right at the end, we noticed a serious flaw. At the end of the interview, when we shook his hand, his handshake was not firm enough. His handshake was soft and limp. And for that reason, he didn't get the job. Now, before you judge me, looking back, I think I was probably being a little harsh. Okay, <laughs> let me admit that. But the three of us, me and the other two guys, we all felt the exact same thing. After we shook his hand, we just felt he's not going to fit in with our team. Because we felt that his handshake spoke volumes about his work ethic uh, and what it would be like. Now, as I said, we were probably a little harsh. Eventually, we found someone who fitted perfectly with our team. You know, one of the most important decisions that a leader needs to make or anyone in leadership needs to, needs to make is who will be on their team. That's a tough decision that every leader needs to make. You know, when Jesus began his full-time ministry, he had to choose a team of men that he could work with and train and men that would continue his work after his departure. Jesus 
had to build a team that could work together, that could be trusted with the greatest message that the world had ever known, the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. How did he do that? How did he choose the disciples? On what basis did he make that choice? Today, I want to look at one story in Luke's Gospel, which records the call of Peter, James and John, and we will discover the criteria that Jesus used for discipleship. So the passage is found in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn with me in Luke to Luke chapter 5, and we we are going to start in verse 1. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. So it was, as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, They forsook all and followed him. The first thing we notice in this story is that Jesus has a problem that I have never had. The problem is that the longer he talks, the bigger the crowd grows. I don't have that problem. I have the opposite problem. The longer I talk, the less the crowd gets. But for Jesus here, the people are pressing into him. It says there, the multitude pressed about him to hear the the word of God. And there was no room. He was on the shore and he was getting pushed to sea because there were so many people. So Jesus here is doing a couple of things. He's just begun his ministry. He's preaching. He's talking. The crowds are getting bigger, but he's also thinking about choosing the right disciples, the right team, so that he can begin this work of establishing the kingdom of God. So Jesus connects the two, the problem of the growing crowd with 
this selection process. And he uses five tests. The first test that he uses, I've called the ready for action test. That's the first test, the ready for action test. Jesus turns to Peter and and he says something like, I, I could imagine, you know, I've got a problem here. There's not enough room. Can you help me? And we seem to get the impression that Peter immediately helps him. He jumps in his boat and he gets pushed out just a little so that Jesus cannot be pressed by the crowd, but he's able to preach comfortably. Peter doesn't take his time and make excuses. He gets straight into it. He's ready for action. And over the next three and a half years, we discover as you read through the Gospels, you discover that the disciples were ready to go. But often their zeal was misplaced and were misguided by the teachings of the religious leaders and of the thought of that day. They had to be taught and educated by Jesus to focus on what was important. And they had to remember that they were there to establish his kingdom of grace and love in his spirit. In the book of Acts, from the day of Pentecost, the disciples, having been filled with the spirit, are moved and ready for action. They're focused and they're heading in the right direction and in the right spirit. They did the work that they were called to do and they made no excuses. And we find that throughout Scripture, God's leaders are always ready for action when He calls. We find Abraham, who is ready to leave everything he knows and go to a foreign land when God asks. We find Caleb and Joshua, who stand in opposition to the other 10 spies when they return from the promised land and they say, we are ready, let's go. We find David ready to stand for God against the giant Goliath. We find Nehemiah ready to leave the comfort of the king's court and return to Jerusalem to fulfill God's promise of rebuilding Jerusalem. We find Isaiah responding to God's question, who will be my messenger? With a bold and ready answer, he am I, send me. And the list goes on and on and on. God's people throughout Scripture are ready for action when God calls. Are we ready for action, people? Are we ready to go when Jesus says go? Do we move forward in the power of Christ, unashamedly proclaiming Him as the answer to this world's problems? Are we ready to go? Or are we waiting for someone else to take the first step? Nothing will change in your life and in your relationship with Jesus until you step up and get ready for action. You know, the beautiful thing is that God made the first step towards us, towards you. He was ready for action. 
when rebellion began, he was ready for it and immediately began his work of restoration and salvation. Jesus first reached out to us to show us how worthy we are and how much he loves us. He took that first step. He was ready to take upon himself the sin of the world so that you and I might have eternal life. What an amazing God we have. A God who first reached out for us, who was ready. First test was the ready for action test. The second test that Jesus now uh, applies or uses is the can you follow direction test. Can you follow direction? After the sermon ends, Jesus tells Peter to go fishing again. He says there in verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus can tell Peter's ready for action. He provided his boat, he's ready. But he gives him another test. He gives him direction to see if he is going to obey. And Peter, he says, you know, Master, as though he's saying, Jesus, you're the master of theology and ministry. I'm the master of fishing. You don't really know anything about fishing. Um, if, If you did, you will know that now is not the best time. But then he says something really interesting. He says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. He says something really inspiring. In another version, it says, but because you say so, I will. But because you say so, I will. Highlight underline, memorize this and do it. But because you say so, I will. Sometimes we say, but because it's what everyone else is doing, I will. Sometimes we say, oh, but because it feels right, I will. Sometimes we say, but because I don't want to upset anyone or cause problems, I will. How often do we say, but because God said so, I will. We need to follow God's direction and leading when He says to go or to do something. We need to be able to be willing to follow the counsel of God even when it seems strange or it seems as though it's going to make our life tough. Are we willing to follow Jesus' direction? Even if it means the loss of friends, or status, or work, or having to get out of our comfort zone? Are we able to take direction from others and work in a team? 
you and I every day have to choose between our way or Jesus' way. And with the invitation of Jesus to follow him, remember this, comes power, wisdom and peace to accomplish what he has asked. When he asks us to do something for him, he supplies our needs. Remember those words. Nevertheless, but because you say so, I will. Number three, the who deserves the credit test. Who deserves the credit test? This is the humble test. Now, just imagine if Peter came up running onto the shore with his huge catch and said, hey, look what I've done. But he didn't do that, did he? Instead, he falls at the knees, at the feet of Jesus, humbled. And he recognizes that it was Jesus who supplied the catch and everything else. All the credit went to Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't want credit hogs. People who want all the attention. He's looking for people who are willing to do His work and who are humble about it. He's looking for people who recognize that all things come from God and are because of Him. They acknowledge God as the giver and the sustainer of life. And the reality is that without Him, without him we would have nothing. True greatness is found in serving others. And the reason God gives us power is so that we can be a blessing to others. That's why. Christianity works on principles that are opposite to those of the world around us. To be blessed, be a blessing to others. To receive love, give love. To be honoured, first be humble. To truly live, die to yourself. To gain the unseen, let go of the seen. To receive, first give. To save your life, lose it. To lead, be a servant. To be first, be last. Are we, like Peter able to admit when we are wrong and humble ourselves before God and if need be, each other? Are we willing to serve each other? Are we team players? You know, the incarnation of Christ represents the very opposite of the human drive to dominate. Although He, Jesus, had access to all the privileges and power to which his identity with God entitled him. And although he could have exploited that privilege and power to dominate others, Jesus considered his divinity an opportunity for service and obedience. His divinity became a matter not of getting, but of giving, not of being served, but of serving, not of dominance, but of obedience and love. What better example 
could we find to serve others and put others before ourselves than Jesus? And you know, I, I'm not in competition with anyone. Pastor Abel and Susan, we are working together. We're not competing against each other. We're not threatened by each other. We are confident in who we are as children of God. And if someone has a better idea than me, I'm going to encourage them. I want you, I want people to do greater things than me. And believe me, that's not hard. And when you do, I want to encourage you. I'm not threatened when people have better ideas than me. I want to help people achieve their goals and God's plan for them. And as a leader, as your pastor, it's my job to grow you and to grow leaders and to get people to do things that they never thought possible. And when you do, to encourage you, to help you in that. Because all the glory goes to God. It's not about me. It's not about you. Number four, let's quickly get through this. The grandeur or grander vision test. Peter, James and John have just hauled up onto their boats the biggest catch of fish that anyone could imagine. It's huge. The nets were about to break. And as I get to the shore and they're sort of, they're sorting through the fish, I could imagine they're feeling pretty good about themselves, right? And Jesus says to them, you know, this has been great, hasn't it? But you can catch bigger fish if you want. You can catch bigger fish. He inspires them with a greater vision that includes destinies, not just dollars. You can imagine them thinking, wow, all this fish is going to make us so much money. And Jesus is going, hey, we're here for something greater. Could you imagine catching bigger fish? Wouldn't it be something if you were on a team and you captured the hearts, if Avondale Memorial Church captured the hearts and the destinies of men and women for eternity? Do you have a greater vision for your life, for your family, for your work? Are you making a difference in the lives of the people around you? Are you influencing people for eternity? As we do our regular daily lives, let's do it to the best of our abilities and worry more about destinies rather than dollars. Let's let God worry about the dollars and let's worry about the destinies. Let's have a vision that changes lives for eternity. I was out door knocking for Adra a few years ago with uh, another, another man from church and we got to the house of an elderly woman and we started chatting with her and my friend ever so gently and beautifully brought the conversation around to spiritual things 
it was just so wise and it was so non-confrontational. I was so impressed by the way he did, he did that. And as we walked away from this, this woman, we had this spiritual conversation with, he turned to me and he said, wouldn't it be great if in, if in eternity this lady comes up to us and says, hey, remember me? Remember we had that chat? And I looked at him and I thought, that is a greater vision. That is what God wants us to do and, and be like. What's your vision? Where do you see this church? Number five. Let's recap, actually. What was the first test? Do you remember the first test? Ah, very good. Ready for action. The second test. Ah, it was the obedience. Can you follow direction? Remember the, remember the text? Nevertheless, but because you say so, I will. Number two, the can you follow direction test. Number three, I've got notes, so I'm cheating. Ah, very good. Someone said it. Who deserves the credit test, the humble test? Number four, we just did it. What was the fourth test? The grander vision. Yes, do we have a greater vision? Number five, the final test. The will you leave it behind test. The will you leave it behind test. Are we... Am I willing to leave everything behind for Jesus? Am I willing to give up my pride, my preconceived ideas, my addictions, my fears, my safe, comfortable place to follow Jesus? Am I willing to do that? In Desire of Ages, page 249, Ellen White uh, writes, Before asking them to leave their nets and fishing boats, Jesus had given them the assurance that God would supply their needs. Do you believe that if you give up all for Jesus, that He will supply your needs? Do you believe that? There are times that what we believe will collide with the values and the beliefs of this world. But each of us individually have to come to a place where we can say... I won't do that, I don't believe that, and I can't adhere to that. And I will put Jesus first. You know, the primary way that God uses to reach people is people. He has chosen people to reach people. And it doesn't make sense, really, when you think about it, because... We're flawed. Well, maybe you're not, but I'm flawed, inconsistent, selfish. It seems like I'm the worst candidate for His work. But He uses you. He uses me. He uses people because He gets the maximum glory when He uses us, in spite of our weaknesses. That's true of us, and the apostles that Jesus chose. They were flawed, just like us. 
They weren't saints in the traditional use of the word. According to the Bible, all Christians are saints. Saint just means true believer. The apostles, the disciples, were hopelessly human, remarkably unremarkable. But they were available and open to their master's work. They were, they were willing to be used by God. That's what I love about the Bible is that it shows men and women as normal people, just like you and me, with all their flaws, all their failures, and it doesn't change the truth. But these men, these women were touched by the Master's hand and they were able to do miraculous things. God starts with a zealot and a tax collector and he throws in some sailors. A zealot is someone who is devoted to the violent overthrow of the Roman Empire. A tax collector works for Rome. These two guys are the opposite ends of the spectrum get thrown together. They were mortal enemies. Under any other circumstance, they would never associate together. But Jesus chose these guys. And you know what? That gives me hope. Maybe you are a little impulsive like Peter. Maybe you're like Andrew, or you're quick-tempered like James or John. Maybe you're you doubt like Thomas. That's okay. Because through them, he changed the world. And you know, I fail all the time. I do. But that's where God's grace and he loves come, his love comes in. He doesn't give up on us. When I look at these five tests or these five criteria... Man, I fail all the time. But God loves me nonetheless. And he says, Steve, I'm still working with you. I haven't given up on you. That gives me so much hope. So what if you said, I'm available to change my world? What if you said to Jesus, I want to experience your touch, work through me, transform me. Who knows what God could do through you? God's not looking for ability as He's looking for availability. He's looking for people who are just available and who say, my heart is open, I'm ready. A few years ago, in one of my uh, previous churches, I went and visited a uh, 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 a, a member of the church. He hadn't been to church in well over 10 years. He grew up in the church. He was very involved in the church as a young man and a youth. But in his 20s and 30s, he, you know, he, he stopped coming to church. And so by the time I had visited him and met him, it had been 13 years or something since he had been to church. And he was covered in tattoos. He had tattoos all up his legs, 
his back, his arms. He had a tattoo on the palm of his hand. He had tattoos up his neck and on his head. And uh, he was an interesting guy. So I'd just visit him. And I'd just hang out at his place. And then I'd keep visiting him. And I'd go back. And I'd keep hanging out until he got sick of me. And I'd keep going back. And I'd just hang out with him. And we'd just talk. We, w- we wouldn't really talk about God or church or Christianity. We would just connect. We would just become friends. Eventually, he asked me for Bible studies. So I started doing Bible studies with him. And he was baptized. And he said to me, hey, when you put me under the water, just hold me under the water for a little longer. He said, I don't want you to just dunk me and bring me up. Just hold me there. And so I held him under the water for a few, you know, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds or something. And when he came up out of the water, he came up punching the air with the biggest smile on his face. He's now an elder in the church and he preaches regularly. But you know, he said something to me which was really interesting. He said, he said, um, you know, the only reason I came back to church was because you kept visiting me. And I'm thinking, well, it's the Holy Spirit, really. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. And he said, he said, a few years ago, one of the other elders came and visited me. And he only came once to my house. And then he never came back. And he said, and I heard later from my dad, he said to my dad, oh, I'll never go visit him again because when I went to visit him, he was smoking and drinking and I'll never visit him again. And he never did. And he said, he said to me, you know, if that elder had kept visiting me, I probably would have come to church earlier. It's powerful, huh? We look at people and we ride them off too quickly. Today, God is looking for people who continue His work. He's looking for people who are ready for action. People that can follow direction and work well with others. People who are humble and give great credit where credit is due. People who have a greater vision for the church and for the community. People who are willing to leave everything behind for Jesus. Are you that kind of person? Finally, Ellen White says this, God God takes men as they are and educates them for His service if they will yield themselves to Him. The Spirit of God received into the soul will quicken all its faculties. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the mind that is devoted unreservedly to God develops harmoniously and is strengthened to comprehend and fulfill the requirements of God. The weak, vacillating character becomes changed to one of strength and steadfastness. Continual devotion establishes so close a relation between Jesus and His disciple that the Christian becomes like Him in mind and character. Through a connection with Christ, he or she will have a 
will have a clearer and broader views. His discernment will be more penetrative, his judgment better balanced. He who longs to be of service to Christ is so quickened by the life-given power of the Son of Righteousness that he is enabled to bear much fruit to the glory of God. May you and I be that sort of person. May you and I truly be disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what I long for. I pray that's what you long for. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you call sinners to follow you. Thank you that you change sinners into saints. May we all here be willing to say, Lord, here we are. Take us, change us, transform us, and use us to build your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.